The scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 9. This is Paul's first letter to his little church in uh, Corinth, Greece. It's the, it's the book that has the famous love is patient and kind chapter or verses. When you hear or read something in the Bible, it's sometimes helpful to ask, why is that in there? And usually the answer is because somebody needed to hear it. So imagine the situation in this little church in Corinth as you hear these words. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are not, you are still not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. The word of God for you, the people of God. Thank you, Reverend Evans, for showing up early today so I could twi- twist your arm. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Steve. <laughs> sorry. Will you pray with me? Holy God, send your spirit upon us, that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. There was a man who had given much thought to what he wanted from life. He had experienced many moods and trials. He had experimented with different ways of living, and he had had his share of both success and failure. At last, he began to see clearly where he wanted to go. Hurrying along, he came upon a bridge that crossed through the middle of town. It had been built high above a river in order to protect it from the floods of spring. He started across. Then he noticed someone coming from the opposite direction. And as they moved closer, it seems as though the other were coming to greet him. He could see clearly, however, that he did not know this other who was dressed similarly except for something tied around his waist. And when they were within hailing distance, he could see that what the other had around his waist was a rope. It was wrapped around him many times and probably, if extended, would reach a length of 30 feet. 
The other began to uncurl the rope, and just as they were coming close, the stranger said, "Pardon me, would you be so kind as to hold the end a moment?" Surprised by this politely phrased but curious request, he agreed without a thought, reached out and took it. Thank you. The other, who then added, "Two hands now, and remember, hold tight." Whereupon the other jumped off the bridge. Now, I first heard this story when I participated in the Center for Pastoral Effectiveness, an 18-month continuing education experience for clergy led by a Denver-area pastor named Reverend Bill Selby. I've taken three different tracks of Center for Pastoral Effectiveness with him. The center focuses on the work of Rabbi Edwin Friedman. Who specifically applied family systems theory to the work of leaders in synagogues and churches? The content is about understanding the relationships between family and how that can inform the work of pastors and faith community leaders. This particular story that I started for for you is called "The Bridge," and it's found in this book, Friedman's Fables. Where Friedman puts the learnings of his main and somewhat clinical book named Generation to Generation into story form, fable form for discussion and reflection. Now I don't know about you, but when I first heard Bill reading this story many years ago, I had a visceral reaction. The other jumped off the bridge. The only thing keeping them alive was the person holding the rope. As the story continues, the person on the bridge tries to figure out what is going on, while the other, who is dangling, just keeps yelling, "Just hold tight! Don't let go!" Thank you for the response. It's like call and response here. Is that Wells? Thank you, Wells. Even when the person on the bridge shouts down ideas and suggestions for the other to be brought to safety, they just yell up, "No! Don't! Don't let go! I, I'm your responsibility now." What could the person on the bridge do? What was the right thing? Hold on forever, and never be able to move, or let the other fall to their doom. How could you ever choose? Today, as we continue our New Year sermon series called "Break Free," we consider toxic relationships. Now I am very aware as we approach this conversation that I am not a therapist or a counselor. If you are in a toxic or harmful relationship, please contact a professional right away. And if you need some help or some support with that, reach out to me. I'm here for you. 
However, describing relationships as toxic is trendy in the pop psychology world. And if you Google toxic relationships, you can find as many articles of advice as grains of sand. But I think that as people of a faith, as we absorb the wisdom of the world, and there is wisdom in the world around us, we also filter that through the lens of Scripture. So is there something different about relationships, especially those that are not working, that we might learn from our faith forebears? When we consider the world in which Paul wrote the letter that we now call 1 Corinthians, thank you, Reverend Evans, for reminding us that somebody needed to hear this. We know that there was quite a lot of infighting within this faith community. According to Bart D. Ehrman, in a brief introduction to the New Testament, he writes, Corinth was a port city. Along with grand economic gain and philosophical exchange came some questionable interpersonal behavior. Paul's letters to the church in Corinth show that the problems of the city also affected the Christian community. Among the myriad problems in the Corinthian church were claims of spiritual superiority over one another, suing one another in public courts, abusing the communal meal, and sexual misbehavior. Paul wrote to demand a higher ethical and moral standard. We could say that things had gotten toxic in Corinth. And when in conflict or disagreement, the tendency seemed to be to claim spiritual authority over the other, the other individual or the other group, and then to cut them off. Lump. You're not worth my time or my energy. Unfortunately, that tendency seems to continue today, at least in some contexts, in the name of healthy boundaries and keeping your own peace to simply cut off anyone around you who rankles you. But complete emotional abandonment of the other because of disagreement or conflict doesn't seem to be the healthiest way of functioning in our world. And Paul agrees. Brothers and sisters, he said, there is quarreling among you. Are you not all merely human? Different leaders plant and different leaders water, but only God gives the growth, and we are all God's servants working together. The encouragement then is to work hard to be in relationship with one another to be engaged in the conflict, to humanize one another, to give each other time to speak and to truly listen, to remember that there's a commonality among you, to be humble and to recognize that you might not have all the best answers and you might not always be right. So great. Awesome. Let's all get along. Amen. Right? 
If only it were that easy. And what do we do with the other who is dangling at the end of the rope, refusing to help themselves? This is the part in the story when I heard it for the first time that my heart was simultaneously stopping and racing. Yes, that can be a thing. So torn about the right story, or the right response, excuse me. Surely a good, faithful person would never let go. That's the rub, or the struggle, or the challenge. For those of us who are people of faith and want to be gracious and generous. And I have no easy answers for you. Except that these are the questions that we get to wrestle with. The story continues. The point of decision arrived. What should he do? My life or the others? And then a new idea. A revelation. So new, in fact, it seemed heretical. So alien was it to his traditional way of thinking. I want you to listen carefully, he said. Because I mean what I'm about to say. I will not accept the position of choice for your life, only for my own. The position of choice for your own life I hereby give back to you. What do you mean, the other said, afraid. I mean simply, it's up to you. You decide which way this ends. I I will become the counterweight. You do the pulling and bring yourself up. I will even tug a little from here. He began unwinding the rope from around his waist and braced himself anew against the side. You cannot mean what you say, the other shrieked. You would not be so selfish. I'm your responsibility. What could be so important that you would let someone die? Do not do this to me. He waited a moment. There was no change in the tension of the rope. I accept your choice, he said at last, and freed his hands. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.